Hello and welcome to the Michael Mamas Show. I am your host, Michael Mamas, and we're coming to you from Mount Soma, home of the Sri Sameshwari Temple in the mountains of Western North Carolina with all of the beautiful fall colors. Um, well, let's take a look here. Did I have some announcements I've got to go over with you here? Uh, oh, I wanted to talk a little bit you know, about the gun violence, the thing in Maine, and then is Israel and Hamas and all that. And, uh, you know, people are looking for solutions, of course. And there's only one solution. Uh, and we've talked about it in the past, and that is, you know, clean the fishbowl. Uh, global consciousness needs to get cleansed. Because when, when there's cloudiness in global consciousness, that's when people just start thinking wrong, thinking in small ways, uh, anger, aggression, negativity, all those things get stirred up. And talking about it or creating laws or, you know, fighting back and, you know, killing some more people or something like that, that doesn't make it go away, you know. The only thing that makes it go away is to clean the fishbowl of consciousness so that people start functioning in harmony and harmony with nature, their own true nature and mother nature. And that's really what I have to say about that. In the past years, I commented on these podcasts about the news and that, but uh, it's just gotten so absurd and so ridiculous, not just with the wars. Wars have been going on for a long time. Uh, but just with everything in politics now, it, it's and so it's all coming to a head, you know, it's all going to resolve soon. Uh, and we've talked about that in the past, Michael. I, I was watching uh, some commentary on what you were just talking about with the gun violence, and hmm. they went back to first time I've ever heard you know, you, you talk about the cleaning the fishbowl, but when they eliminated the um you know, the, the asylums, the, the mental asylums. I don't know if you remember that was back in what the sixties or something. I think they finally did away with those. seventies. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. So they did away with those, but they were supposed to build these like treatment centers after that, which they never did. And so oh, basically yeah. they just, eliminated the asylums, put everybody out on the street. So you had two problems, you know, mental health people without any help and all these people just on the street. I didn't you know, know that. Now they're free, you know, yeah. so. Terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. But the idea of having these centers, and I've, I've heard one other candidate talk about that, how we need these mental health facilities to, to kind of, to help more deal with the, uh, that the people are just psychologically there, you know, need help. I remember I was talking with my teacher, Maharshi. This was, gee, decades ago. And I was talking to him about how uh, I was in vet school. I was going to graduate as a veterinarian. And I just mentioned to him that uh, one of the things that veterinarians are in involved with, and a lot of people don't know this, is, is uh, public health. Uh, and I remember he just kind of scoffed. He just kind of smirked and under his breath, he said, public health. 
public health, we don't know how to do public health. Yeah. In the world today, they don't know how to do public health. Public health is about cleaning the fishbowl, you know, and uh, that knowledge has been forgotten. Now, why? If that knowledge is there, and it is, it's in the Veda, why was it forgotten? It's such a great thing. Well, the fishbowl doesn't get all gunky and dirty overnight. It takes time. And it's taken thousands of years. So thousands of years ago, this technology uh, was around and it was well known. But the fishbowl was clean. And so the technology, if they didn't do the technology, the fishbowl was clean. A hundred years later, still clean. A couple hundred years later, still clean. And so the knowledge gets forgotten. Uh, but at some point it gets so bad that um, uh, we look for the knowledge, we find the knowledge, and and uh, then we bring it forth. And so now we have this technology of how to clean the fishbowl, and that's what we're doing at Mount Soma. And uh, it, it'll happen, you know, it'll happen. Uh, so it's a cycle, you know, and it just makes sense. Uh, kitchen remodeling is still going on, so there's still no food service at Mount Soma for the time being, but that'll get fixed and we'll have a beautiful new kitchen, okay? Um, I just made a note here. John is foundation of success. John meaning knowledge. I guess that's the point of this whole podcast, really, is that awakening to that deeper level of existence, that field of pure knowledge, uh, knowledge, not only, in, certainly not mental, intellectual knowledge, but deep knowledge, experiential knowledge. Uh, that's the key to success in life. But I saw along those lines, there's a, a beautiful quote. I think, you know, many of you probably know it's Aham Vishvam. It means uh, I am the universe. And I've talked about Brahman consciousness and how in Brahman consciousness, you know, I am that pillow or whatever it is you're looking at in front of you. I am this room. Uh, uh, I am the view I see out there in the distance. I am the universe. I am the totality, all that. But Maharshi once, um, I understand, phrased it a little differently. And, and it's such a beautiful... There's so much depth to phrasing it that way. Uh, and that is to say, instead of I am the universe, my universe is myself. And I don't know, you know, words are a subtle thing and they make a huge difference. So why did my universe is myself? Why does that, did that impact me so much? And that is, well, think about in Brahman consciousness, and keep in mind, Brahman consciousness, Brahman is not a thing. Uh, there's the material world and all the things in it. There's the unmanifest. Sometimes they call it the field of no thingness. And that's true. But in a greater sense, it is the absolute. And so in that sense, maybe you could refer to it as a thing. But Brahman is different. Brahman is not a thing, even in that more expanded sense. Brahman is a state of consciousness. It speaks to the profundity of the um, capability of uh, human awareness when it's raised to that level. It's a level of consciousness. So without a knower of Brahman, there, there is no Brahman. Whereas without 
a knower of the uh, absolute of Chaitanya, of the transcendent, the transcendent's still there. Okay. So <clears throat> let's go back to um, my universe is myself. What is the universe to a person in Brahmi Chaitanya and Brahman consciousness? Whatever is being perceived in the moment is part of my universe. It's all projective, projected out of the Atma. The Atma is that one thing that's the source of everything. Uh, and we all have our own <clears throat> um, point of connection unique to us with that, but the Atman is the absolute. I've talked about that before. Atama, you know, uh, and the point value. Um, but then it becomes this, this my universe. And even if your attention is on the camera, or even if your attention is on the room, or even if your attention is on the pillow, whatever your attention is on, there's this state of consciousness called Brahmi Chaitanya, Brahman consciousness, that includes the totality, the entirety of the universe. And so it's my universe. Is that making sense, Scotty? It's yeah. It's so intimately a projection of the self uh, that in contrast to say, uh, I am the universe. Well, that's kind of has the feel like I'm here and the universe is over there or out there and I am that. But to say my universe is myself, it's all included in, in from the very beginning, my universe. Well, Michael, isn't it the same for Brahman consciousness? It's like that that is us. Brahman consciousness, it's like, what are we doing to separate ourselves from that realization or that, you know, knowing? Yeah. Um, Is that similar? There's another quote. I can't remember where it's from. It's, I think it's Upanishads. Um, um Pragyanam Brahm, Pragyanam Brahman, Pragyanam Brahm. Pragya is the intellect, uh, but not intellect in the sense that we think. We, we oftentimes equate intellect with our mind, but there's a deeper value of intellect. And when, when the word intellect is used um, in, the, in the Veda, it's more accurately is spoken of as like a cosmic intellect, that intelligence, that pure intelligence that dwells within uh, one's own being, the foundation of existence, the intelligence at the foundation of all existence. And, and uh, so it's consciousness. It's, the, it's when consciousness is fully awake, pragnyam, uh, um, And what do you have? Brahm. 
So we're all Brahman. Brahman dwells at the depth of all of us. It's our, it's our consciousness. But how awake are we to it? It's just a matter of becoming fully awake to our own true nature. And then you realize that my universe is myself. It's your universe. It's my universe. It's our universe. And it's your own self. Was that responsive, Scotty? Yes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, somebody was talking to me um, just yesterday, got a little discussion about uh, God's will and uh, support of nature, that sort of a thing. And if we live in harmony with nature, then we receive the support of nature. And so the question kind of came up, well, you know, the, the idea is that there's God's will out there somewhere, and uh, if we live in harmony with it, then it supports us. So the question comes up, you know, where is God's, God's will? You know? Um, where is the light of God? I had to scroll down to even see, remember how I entitled this, the light of God. Where is it? The light of God is within us. The light of God radiates out through our eyes. It's in every breath. It's in our being. The light of God is being. The light of God is our being. And so God's will then functions through us. It's not something out there, well, God be willing, you know. That's not really as accurate as finding divinity, you know, the kingdom of heaven dwells within, finding that divinity within, functioning from that place. And that is how we manifest. That is how God is willing, God is supporting us. Uh, we are that. Aham Brahmasmi. I am the totality. And I think, you know, a lot of times we don't look that way, you know. Well, we can pray. We can pray to God, and oh, please help me, God, and all that. And those prayers can be heard. But the highest form of prayer is resting in that place where you're one with God. You know, there. I think I mentioned in another podcast about, uh, did I, Scotty, about Mother Teresa. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she was being interviewed, and they asked her if she prayed. And she said, oh, yeah, I pray. You know, what do you pray for? And she says, I don't pray for anything. She says, I just listen. And uh, the interviewer said, oh, well, what, what does God say to you? And she said, uh, he doesn't say anything. He uh-huh. just listens. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's that's communion. That's being there one with God, really. Uh, and even in the uh, in the state of Brahmi Chaitanya, then that feel of consciousness, that pure being. It's like he who has no name, he, he doesn't talk, he doesn't have an opinion, he doesn't give a perspective on what's going on. 
even in the here and now, right now. He's just there. He's a witness. Pure consciousness, fully conscious, fully awake, but with no bias. Making sense, Scotty? Yeah. So people, they go out in the world and they look, you know, they look for fulfillment, what will make them happy. And that's on its own level, that's all good. You know, there are things we need, you know, food, love, what have you. Uh, But there's a thirst within people that is seemingly unquenchable. Why? Because they look for it on the surface. But the goal there, I, there was this one expression I heard, somebody I think was given a high school address, somebody I knew. And he said, um, gold is in your backyard, dig for it. Now, the deepest meaning of that is actually quite profound. The gold dwells within you, it's in your backyard, but you have to clear the pathways, move beyond the confines of your mind. You see, the mind is far more superficial than the intellect. It's, it's, and, and the source of our thoughts lies far deeper than the mind. It said that uh, the mind is prana, which is life breath, the breath of the absolute. We could say that bubbling up uh, from the field of pure Puran, uh, Uh, well, up through the different levels, I won't use all the Vedic terms, up through the different levels of welling up into relativity. And that's the breath of God, if you will. That's the life force. That's the the manifestation of that infinite intelligence, that feel of perfect intelligence, perfect divinity. But as it wells up into relativity, then it interacts with karma. And karma plus prana, plus that breath of God, if you will, is what creates our minds. So our minds are highly a function of karmic. That's why they talk about in the state of enlightenment, you know, there's no mind. Uh, uh, see, and so people try to walk around without any mind. Oh, I don't have any mind. It's ridiculous. But but it's, so the mind is superficial and it's largely karmic. Then the karma, uh, oftentimes, see, there's a concept called vritti. These are kind of like uh, modulations of the mind of what we think. Uh, I think you could include chitta in it, the, the chit, the storehouse of impressions, the subconscious that was created through the conditioning, through lifetimes and through our childhood and like that. And it's subconscious, but it colors very much and it determines it it. it dictates how our mind functions, what we think, how we react to things. We think it's us thinking it's really more karma, you know? And so even in the state of Brahmi Chaitana, okay, wait a minute, life is bliss, all of that, everything's perfect, you know, harmony with nature, support of nature, all that. But even in the state of Brahmi Chaitanya, you're functioning within a, uh, oh, a uh, vessel 
they say a vessel of, of mud. The body has karma. The brain has karma. And so even though the soul in that sense, if you want to use that word, uh, is pure, the consciousness is pure, there's still the effects of karma on the surface. And so, and for that to get cleaned up is no small task. We're, you know, we're talking about immortality in a very high sense of the word there. You know, I think when we we have the idea that if we meet a person in, you know, Brahmi Chaitana, an enlightened being, a great, you know, Brahmin consciousness individual, that we're going to be humbled by them and we'll feel this incredible divine presence and everything they say will be exquisite music to our ears and all that. It's, it's not the way it works. For one, even if they were in, in an immortal state, I mean, when Lord Krishna was around, there were people that hated him, you know. Uh, so the other factor there is that people are functioning from their mind, and their mind has beliefs, convictions, what life is supposed to be like, what they're supposed to be thinking. And so if they meet an enlightened being, they're not going to be thinking the same way. And what's a person going to do? They're going to judge that enlightened being from the perspective of their mind. Now combine that with the fact that even a per person in... Uh, Brahmi Chaitana in full enlightenment is functioning through a vehicle of mud, you know. Uh, it gets more complicated than uh, people understand, you know. Yeah. Consciousness is Brahman. Beautiful. Consciousness is Brahman. Your consciousness is Brahman. It's just a matter of cleaning the vessel. And we can purify, as we purify global consciousness, the vessels of all the people get purified. And we can live in, in a, a time of Satyuga. And Lord Krishna predicted, and it's it's really interesting. I think even the Hopis, yeah, the Hopis had something where they said that uh, a golden age will come after the white man wears beads and uh, and the eagle lands on the moon. You know, it's coming, it's happening. And right now we're in that phase transition period. You know, I saw a fun quote uh, talking about words, you know, and how uh, uh, I am the universe versus my universe is myself. Just a little play, a difference in words makes a huge difference. Uh, Richard Kipling, who, you know, lived in India. Uh, I saw a fun quote of his. He says, words are, of course, the most powerful drug used by mankind. Words are powerful. They can be abused, which is what he's referring to there, but they can also be used. And, uh, well, purity of words, purity of speech, then is a very powerful evolutionary um, vehicle. Which is why I, I study Sanskrit. I'll tell you, I, I was a math physics major in undergrad. I loved math and physics. And to me, mathematics was so exquisitely beautiful. It was music. 
But studying, studying Sanskrit, it's the same, but in, in, a, in another sense, it's even more so because you, you get to the point where you feel, you know, you're, you're, you're hearing the words of the language of nature, the sounds that emerge right out of the absolute, and they well up through your being, and you can just feel their purifying influence. It's the absolute speaking to you, through you. So for sure, right now, my hobby, what I do in my spare time is uh, I read Sanskrit. I'm not real good at it. I mean, it's it would take time to get just very fluid with it. But uh, I can read it. You know, you put something down and I can read it. Uh, but I'm careful with it because there's there's a lot of subtlety to it. And so I prefer when I read it to have a recording of the pundits chanting it at the same time. So I'll read a little bit, then I'll listen to what they chant, and then I'll read read it again and listen, try to get all the, the sounds just right, you know. Words are powerful. I think that's about it, Scotty, unless you have anything else. No, I, I know what you mean about that. We took a, I took a Sanskrit class um, hmm. too, and... When you get just it was it just felt good even just saying the vowels you know or, yeah and it was neat kind yeah of there's something just that. so exquisite about it you know yeah I intend to get more and more fluid with it I'd like to be able to pick up a Sanskrit text and just read it and just have it flow just like I was reading English and be comfortable enough with it that I didn't have to you know listen to the pundits chant that verse to make certain I got the pronunciation just right. Right. Uh, I'm not there yet. But, or, or you can talk to the pundit, or you can do it around the pundit, and he looks at you like, wow, <laughs> there's no weird accent. Or Right. You know? Yeah, I want to get, I'd like to get there. I'd like yeah. to get there. Fortunately, at Mount Soma, we have Pundiji right here, and yeah. uh, he's been a great help. You know, he's uh, he's extremely supportive of everything I do. And in fact, anything I say in, in my lectures now, if I think it might at all be controversial or misunderstood or incorrect or anything like that, I always, I'll run it by him, you know. And uh, I don't think there's ever been a single time when he said, no, no, that's not quite right. You know, he's, he's uh, always responds with enthusiasm, you know. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will talk with you again next week. Take care for now.